Do you ever feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of snacks and meals? We get it. That's why we're excited to share Home Threads, the ultimate solution for creating a stylish and functional family space. At HomeThreads.com, discover furniture that can handle the chaos of family life. From wipeable dining chairs to kitchen tables and light fixtures. Or you can just freshen up your kitchen with trays, counter lamps, decor, and other affordable accents that will help you update your kitchen into a room you love spending time in. Head over to HomeThreads.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Dinner and I Just Feed You, to get a code for 15% off your first order. Because if you're going to be feeding them three times a day, plus snacks, you deserve a home that feeds your style. HomeThreads, love where you live. That's HomeThreads.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y today to get 15% off your first order. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate. What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Last year, both Stacy and I discovered Nutrafol, a supplement that supports healthy hair growth by targeting the five root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, and metabolism. We've been so thrilled with the results that in 2022, we want to make sure every woman knows about Nutrafol, because as it turns out, 30 million women are impacted by weakened or thinning hair. Nutrafol offers two targeted formulas for women that are clinically shown to improve hair growth and thickness with less shedding through seasons when hair loss and thinning are normal, like postpartum and premenopausal, and all the times in between. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after six months, and more than 1,500 doctors recommend Nutrafol as an effective and high-quality solution for healthier hair. Most importantly, Nutrafol is 100% drug-free. They use medical-grade botanicals in consistently effective dosages, so you get the most reliable results. And major bonus, you may also notice improvements to your overall well-being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and my favorite, better skin and nails. No matter your stage in life or whether you're experiencing thinning hair caused by stress, hormonal changes, overstyling, or some other reason, there's a Nutrafol product for you. Take their hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com for personalized product recommendations. Grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code D-I-J-F-Y to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere and it is only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus get free shipping on every order. That's $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y.
a lot of the recipes don't require tons of high heat. You know, the one thing that I think that is really important when you're cooking, um, especially when you're cooking uh, a stir fry or anything that's quick is even more than with Western cuisine, um, you really need to focus on prepping um, and being organized before you start cooking. Um, so, you know, the French term mise en place, like having all your ingredients, not just your ingredients, but also the tools you're going to need ready. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hey, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Hey guys, we are incredibly excited about today's guest. We're going to be speaking with Jay Kenji Lopez-Alt about wok cooking in his latest cookbook, The Wok, Recipes and Techniques. As you'd expect from Kenji, the book is tirelessly researched and wildly thorough while also managing to be completely accessible. So whether you're curious about Kenji's signature food science explanations, or maybe you're just hoping to master Kung Pao chicken at home, this conversation and his book have what you need and so much more. So much more. It's hard not to jump right in, but before we do, we want to give a quick shout out to our community. By now, I think you all know that we offer a free community space where everyone can share recipes, tips, meal plans, and also feel free to ask questions. There's so much help and inspiration that we lovingly call it the best place on the internet. And if you're able to contribute to Didn't I Just Feed You, you can join us as a supporting member that gives you access to the free space plus other cool stuff, including two exclusive episodes every single month. Find out more about your options and how to join at didn'tijustfeedyou.com backslash community. How creative is that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Before we dive into our conversation with Kenji, I need to know, Billis, straight up, how much wok cooking do you do at home? Surprisingly, not that much. And, you know, we've both been part of teams and have probably even written ourselves those list of essential cooking tools. The wok is always on those. I understand intellectually why it is and believe that it is one of the most versatile tools in the kitchen. And when I use it, I'm reminded of that wholeheartedly. Yet at the same time, it is not a tool that I return to over and over and over in a regular way. I'll go through phases. And I think there are a couple of hurdles there for me. One is, I'm very embarrassed to admit this, walk care. Sometimes I get intimidated. It's the same thing with my cast iron. Even though I know all the things to do and my walk is in good shape and my cast iron is in good shape. I'm like, uh, I don't know. And I'm yeah, just cooking like on the weeknight. Yes. Roadblock there. Yes. Where I okay. just feel like my Dutch oven, my pans, I cook in them, I clean them, I wash them, we're done. So there is some sort of mental roadblock there for me. And I also think that as much as I love stir fries and think that it's an essential busy cook meal and an essential it should be an essential part of our repertoire. And Kenji's going to talk to us a lot about this. And he kind of helped me just hearing him talk about this. It does require a lot of prep and mise en place. And sometimes I'm like, I've got this. That's for people who can't move fast enough or that's, you know, and I get this like overconfidence and I don't do a great job of prepping. And inevitably your stir fries suffer. You get some steaming or your sauce cooks off too quick or something. And then it's not as satisfying as I want it to be. So 
our conversation was really a reminder to do the prep work, do the prep work, because then you get the results. And to remember that, you know, if you see something that cooks in 40 minutes, that's kind of a long time for a weeknight meal, but even like 30, 35 minutes, you think, oh, that's like a normal dinner time, but it doesn't require a lot of prep. I feel like a lot of busy home cooks have been trained to look at the cook time and not the prep time. And you want short prep and then you'll, there's a threshold for cooking something for 30 minutes. And actually it's just a shift in perspective that you're going to be prepping for longer, but actually the cook time is a flash. So it all evens out. What about you? This is going to be like such a long lead answer, which is we talked about wok cooking with Christine Gallery when we had her on to talk about Mr. Jews cooking. And we were still in Boise at that time. And I was like, I really want a new wok because I hadn't been cooking in my wok at home because it was a round bottom, not a flat bottom. And we had a glass cooktop top in yes. Boise. And so I was like, I'm going to buy a new wok when we move. I still have not done that. Okay. And I think part of it is that I, we have a glass cooktop again. And I'm like, oh, I like me, you know, it's not going to be like as efficient. I can only use it on the grill. But that like even reading through Kenji's book, I know that that's not true. Yes. And I was thinking recently about two things. One, when I worked for Alton, we used the wok all the time not only for doing like experimental things in it, like putting it over a charcoal chimney full of blazing hot charcoal to like fry and sear stuff, but also for cooking for the crew because we had like big industrial cooktops that were fitted with these um, grates that you could turn over and it had like the wok bowl on it. So we would cook a ton of food really quickly for crew lunches too in the walks. It was one of Allison's favorite tools. So I used it a lot, like pre-kids. And I want to, in my like long lead list of projects this spring is cleaning out our pantry and like really rebuilding it. Because I feel like even since we moved a lot of my like specialty soy sauces, specialty vinegars, rice wine vinegars, I gave to friends when we were moving and I just like haven't been very diligent about rebuilding that pantry. So I feel like I want to be a better walk cook and I'm very inspired by Kenji's book and by our conversation to do that. So I guess you have to hold me to it. Our community has to hold me to it. (laughs) Yeah. Got to prove yourself on Instagram. Okay. Just share those walk cooked meals. I also think that we do end up talking a lot about stir fries because I think we're talking to Kenji. Like we could have talked to him for hours. I mean, he's such a wealth of knowledge and his book is such a tome and there's so much we could have gone into. It could have been a series of five. Didn't I just feed you episodes, but it might still be, it might still be. <laughs> Let's see. We, he didn't agree to yeah. that, but, no, but we, we can, we were definitely like, do you want to come back and talk <laughs> about we this can. thing and this thing and this thing? Yes. But I think stir frying is the most useful place to start for our audience. I want to start braising more in my walk. I really, I, I've done it. I know you can do it. Like I know I have all the information, but then it's not something other than mapo tofu, which is actually one of my favorites as well. I don't really do it much. And I think really 
digging into all of the different ways you can use the walk will also help you use it more. And Kenji mentioned that he leaves the walk on his stovetop. And I have done I this before with other tools, like way back when I was like, I won't use the Instapot. I am annoyed. Everybody's using it. I don't believe it's going to make great food. But then I ended up getting one and I never used it. Sometimes just leaving something on your stovetop or your countertop and just refusing to put it away, you'll start to use it more and experiment with it. So I think I'm just going to take my walk and leave it on my stovetop. Okay. We're doing like a walk challenge. Yeah. All right. Also, it is, and this is one of the things that the Girl Dads taught me working on their book. Well, I guess I kind of knew it already from my Alton experience, but it is really great on the grill because you can get your grill really hot or like if you have a little side burner on your propane grill and you're worried about like, oh, I need to get it hot enough. Is it going to be smoky? Do it outside. Uh, so ripping hot. I think of you as being someone who says ripping hot. Yes, like the southern I girl. Say that. I know you would. Yes, get it ripping hot. We're gonna do a ripping walk, uh, June. <laughs> All right, Megan, bring in Listen, Kenji. We gotta bring get in Kenji. Do you think Kenji is a person who even needs an introduction? If you don't know him, J. Kenji Lopez All is a chef, parent, and New York Times best-selling author of the Food Lab which was a winner of the James Beard Award for General Cooking and International Association of Culinary Professionals Book of the Year. And Every Night is Pizza Night. He is a wildly popular New York Times food columnist and the host of Kenji's Cooking Show with over a million subscribers on YouTube. He lives in Seattle with his wife and kids. You are known as, you know, the person who dives super deep on getting like technical and researching techniques and tools and, you know, recipes and methods. Why the walk for your next book? <laughs> Why the walk? Um, Why the well, walk? it's because I, <laughs> I, so the, the walk, so I've, I've had, um, I, you know, my, I grew up, my, you know, my, my parents cooked in walks, um, but um, I bought my first walk when I was in college. And uh, that walk, that that exact same walk is the one that I still have today. So I've I've had it for over twenty years now. Um, and so you know, it's this one tool that I that I at the time I spent like I don't remember thirty forty bucks on it. Um, I bought it at a Target. It's a carbon steel walk that um, uh, you know I used it when I was when I was cooking for friends in college, like in our, our dorm room. I used it uh, when I was you know living with roommates. I used it when when I when I got married, and now I use it to feed my whole family. And so it's, it's this one tool that basically never leaves my stovetop. Like it's literally, I, I used it literally last night at 1130 PM to fry falafel because we're having falafel for lunch today. But it's, it's a tool that basically never leaves my stovetop. Um, and it's because it's so versatile, you know, it's like the best tool for steaming, the best tool for frying and deep frying. Uh, and of course, like stir frying, braising, things like that. Um, you know, all, the, all those things that you normally associate with a wok, but um, you can spend a lot of money on, you know, sort of fancy Western cooking equipment, you know, like um, a skillet, like a triclad skillet's going to cut, co- like, will we'll cost you, a set of them will cost you, a, a Dutch oven will cost you like 150, 200 bucks. Um, whereas a wok, it's like, it's a sheet of metal that's pounded into the right shape. So it's like virtually indestructible and it's just extraordinarily useful. Okay. So before we dive into how it's useful, maybe there's something in asking you why not the wok earlier? I mean, you've had a long career so far. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's because, um, so, I mean, I, I have written a lot about cooking in a wok um, online um, on Serious Seeds. I think 
Um, so Serious Eats was the, you know, the website that well, still exists, of course, where I used to work. Um, and uh, Serious Eats, we actually recently just published a digital issue all about cooking in a walk that the timing of it was actually sort of coincidental that it came out around the same time as my book, um, because that was something that the, the folks at Serious Eats have been planning for a long time. But a lot of that, what's in that digital issue was stuff that I had written for Serious Eats about 12 years ago, 10 years ago, when I first started there, no, even longer. Uh, so 2000. Eight, so whatever it is, fourteen years ago, you know, a lot that those are sort of the original walk guides that I had written for Series Eats and where I first started writing about cooking in walks that have been sort of recently completely updated and added to with a whole bunch of other experts. Um, but I, so I have written about cooking in a walk before. Um, the reason I haven't done a book before is because um, in my first book, The Food Lab, um, there actually was originally a whole chapter. Um, a couple hundred pages on cooking in a walk. Um, and in fact, in the equipment section of that book, at the very front of the book, I talk about how the wok is the most versatile pan in the kitchen and how is the, if I had to choose just one pan to have in my kitchen, it would be a wok. Um, but then due to length, we ended up cutting out that whole chapter. Um, so in the food lab, uh, at the beginning of the book, I do tell people the wok is awesome. Like, it's great. You should have one. And then I don't really mention it again in the rest of the book because oh, no. we cut out that chapter. Well, I was going to say, uh-oh, like, I have that book. I've <laughs> used that book a million times. Did I miss something? Am I forgetting? But it got cut. All right. The only place in the book where it shows up, I think, is in the deep frying chapter. But um, so when I started working on a second, you know, we, we cut out a bunch of things from that, for, from the food lab. Um, it was originally about twice as long. Um, and so we ended up keeping mainly just sort of the American and sort of American adjacent, you know, like pasta and meatloaf and macaroni and cheese and fried chicken, all that kind of stuff, just so that we could sort of focus, uh, focus a little bit on on those things and not make it even more sort of uh, heavy than it is. And so when I started doing a sec the second volume of that book, um, which was going to be all the other stuff, you know, I started working with on the chapter that I thought was the strongest, which was the walk chapter. Um, and as I was writing it, I was, just, you know, I, I started adding to it um, and it got up to several hundred pages, you know, and I was basically had done like the introduction and, you know, talking about tools and ingredients and some of the basic science and stir fries and, and, you know, and I hadn't even gotten to all the other stuff you can do in a walk. So, you know, that was basically when I decided um, to call my editor and tell her, Hey, you know, we should just, I, I could write a whole book about this. Like I could do another like food lab size book. That's just about the walk. Um, and I think it'll be very useful to people. Um, you know, one, one of the things I really like about the book is that throughout the whole book, if you get a wok and you get a spatula, you know, and then a couple, if you, for some recipes you need auxiliary things like um, like a spider for, for deep frying or, or um, you know, steamer baskets. So a bunch of, you know, for less than $100, you can get like every tool that the book calls for. And pretty much every single recipe in the book, there's a couple of exceptions, but virtually every recipe in the book is just one pan on your stovetop. Like you don't have to heat up an oven. You don't have to do anything else. You just have one pan on your stovetop and you can do, you know, there's over 200 recipes in the book. And th those are all things that you can do is with just this one, one tool, which I think is pretty appealing. I think that's hugely appealing to, to busy home cooks, to parents. I'm so curious to know, knowing that you've had this relationship with your walk since you were in college, how has becoming a parent in the last five years changed your relationship to that walk? Like, do you find that you <laughs> use it even more frequently and are just cooking different things in it? Are you steaming and braising in it more? Cause you have a little, little baby. No, I cook, I cook a lot of the same things. You know, the, the things that made it appealing to me when I was, um, you know, uh, living like with roommates or when I was throwing dinner parties was that I could, 
you know, prep things a little bit in advance. And then when I'm actually serving people, it only takes like, you know, I stand in the kitchen and it takes like 20, 30 minutes and people can be hanging around also while I do that. And this, that's sort of what's appealing to me now. It's like, I can, you know, when I, when I, when I plan a meal, um, I can, you know, the night before I can like chop my vegetables or whatever and have them ready. And then on the day, you know, I pick up my daughter from school, we bike home, we, we, um, do some reading and then, you know, dinner, we try and we serve, we have a little kid. So we serve dinner at like five thirty or six. Um, and that doesn't leave much time for cooking. So if I have everything yes. ready to go, it just, you know, it's, it's only like 10 or 20 minutes in the kitchen to me. I think the, the, the same things that were appealing to me when I was younger are appealing to me now, which is that I can get these really tasty things to come out that don't take um, a ton of time. That said, I, th- I know that um, learning how to cook in a wok is going to be a bit of a process for people, right? So um, because it is a different set of techniques, it's a different sort of conceptually, there's a lot of things that are different in cooking in, um, things in a wok versus cooking more sort of Western style food. So like, for instance, with Western style proteins, a lot of the time you're leaving them whole and you're searing them, right? To, and you're building flavor by browning them deeply. Whereas when you're stir frying something, you very rarely actually let it sit still long enough yes. to develop a hard sear. Most of the time, like to get to develop the sort of deeper, um, more sort of umami flavors, um, you're relying on your pantry. So you're relying on long fermented sauces like soy sauce or fermented black beans and things like that um, that are going to bring depth. But so, you know, so you, you, there is going to be a bit of a learning process technique wise and also sort of ingredient wise. And so, you know, it is a little bit of an investment that you're going to have to do up front to learn these things. But then once you have a pantry that's stocked and once you have sort of the basic techniques down, then everything becomes extremely quick. So when someone embarks on that journey of learning how to shift their cooking so they can kind of master wok cooking, what are some important things to keep in mind? I mean, there's like really basic stuff like super high heat and moving foods around. But just talk us through the basics that people can kind of keep in mind as they dive into your book. Yeah, well, I would say so. Not not everything requires super high heat. Um, that you know, there are some recipes that that do sort of rely on super high heat to develop flavor, but a lot of them don't. And a lot of, um, you know, I think there is this misconception that to cook in a wok properly, you need like a restaurant style, hundred fifty thousand BTU per hour, which you don't, because there are you know there are hundreds of millions of people who cook in a wok every day who don't have restaurant burners in their home kitchens, right? Um, so there is like this whole wealth of wok. Um, you have of home cooking that you can do in a wok. Um, uh, and, you know, in the book, a lot of the recipes are sort of these home cooked, home cooked style meals. Um, some of them are also more restaurant style meals, but generally I'll tell you like this, this is going to be a recipe where you need high heat or where you can use a torch to get this wok hay flavor, you know, that restaurant style flavor. But mo- a lot of the recipes don't require t- tons of high heat. You know, the one thing that I think that is really important when you're cooking, um, especially when you're cooking uh, a stir fry or anything that's quick is, even more than with Western cuisine, um, you really need to focus on prepping um, and being organized before you start cooking. Um, so, you know, the French term mise en place, like having all your ingredients, not just your ingredients, but also the tools you're going to need ready. Um, and that's something that I really stress in this book. Um, in fact, for a lot of the recipes, and particularly the stir fry recipes, um, there's a whole section where you, you have, you know, there's the ingredients. And then within the recipe itself, before you start cooking, um, I, I lay out like, here are the here are the bowls you should have. So you should have your scallions and peanuts together in one bowl because they're going to dump into the wok at the same time. You should have your garlic and ginger in a in, in one bowl together. And so like I'll say like these are the bowls of things you could, you should have. These are the tools you should have nearby and you should also have like, you know, an empty bowl for transferring stuff into as you cook it, um, a serving plate ready. So so you know, I do sort of guide you through exactly what you should have when you're cooking because the last thing you want to happen 
um, when you're stir frying, you know, which is a process that takes only a few minutes is to realize like, oh shoot, like I haven't chopped my garlic yet, or I don't have a place yeah. to put this, put this down. What am I going to do? And it sits in the wok and it burns. Yeah. Um, so even more than with Western cooking, I think yeah, stressing, um, having yourself organized and ready with everything before you start cooking is, is very important. And even as a professional cook, I've known that, but I'm always like, I can handle it. And I really, I actually noticed that in your book. And I was like, oh, he's telling us something here. This is not just a matter of Kenji being super detail oriented. This right. is like really, <laughs> really be prepared. Like this is how it's going to go and how it has to go to achieve the flavor. Yeah. Well, there's some recipes like the Sichuan style Kung Pao chicken, right? So there, there's two recipes for Kung Pao chicken in this book. One that's sort of the Chinese American version that I grew up with in New York. Um, and then the more traditional Sichuan version. But in the Sichuan version, you're um, one of the first steps is to fry Sichuan peppercorns and dried chilies uh, in oil to infuse that oil with flavor. But that takes like five seconds, right? And if you do it longer than that, um, the chilies burn and, and you fill your house with this like pepper gas. Uh, so, you know, that's one of those things where it's like, if you don't have your chicken ready to go into the wok, like just a few seconds after you add your other things, you're going to burn, you're going to burn your chili. So you really do, you don't even have time to walk over to your cutting board and pick it up. It's like, you need your bowl right next to you. You dump one in, you need to be ready with the next one to go. Yeah, organization and just and just looking over a recipe before you start is, is I think, the biggest key to success here. You mentioned that, you know, you really just need a wok and like a nice long wooden spatula. But what are the other tools that are really important for wok cooking? Those are the really two most important ones. Um, a ladle is also useful. A, wok, a wide wok ladle can be useful. Aside from that, you know, the other things you might consider getting um, are a, a spider, so like a metal, a, a, a wide mesh strainer, um, which is super useful for when you're deep frying anything. I think, you know, the wok, I think, is the ideal vessel for deep frying. Beyond that, I would get a, a bamboo steamer or a, a stack of bamboo steamers. Um, so a wok, I think, is also the best vessel for steaming things in because, again, you know, with a with a with Western style steamers, you're typically you, you have water at the bottom of a tall pot or a Dutch oven, and then you have a basket that you lower down. Um, and so you're having to like sort of reach down into this, into a, into a pot full of hot steam, cover it up. Um, and then you can only do sort of one layer of things at a time. Whereas with a wok, the steamer baskets sit on top. And so you get water, you get water simmering in the bottom. You can load up the steamer baskets however you want while they're sitting cool on your countertop, you know, and you can stack five or six of them. It doesn't matter. And then you just put that whole thing on top of the wok. Um, so you don't have to reach down into a hot pan. Uh, and, uh, and you can do m much more at the same time than you can, uh, and then you can, then you could do in a pot. So a lid could also be useful. What I'll do is if I, if I deep fry something one day, um, typically, you know, I, I, if I, if I'm going to deep fry something, I'll end up deep frying for like a few days in a row, or maybe a few times over the course of a week, because I have a couple quarts of oil in my wok and I, and I don't love the process of straining it out and putting it back into the bottle. So I'll just be like, all right, this will yes. be like the week where we have three meals where things <laughs> totally. are going to be deep fried. And then, you know, the week after that, everything will be steamed to make up for it. But, but I'll, you know, I'll leave the oil in the wok and then I just put a lid on it and leave it on my stovetop, um, which I find to be much more convenient than, uh, yeah, than straining it and putting it in the fridge every time. Before we hear more from Kenji, a break to hear from one of this week's sponsors. Why is food so colorful? Why do some eggs sink and others float in water? And what's the difference between food that grows underground versus above ground? Spring is a time of growing with new fresh foods popping up in gardens and markets alike, sparking new curiosities for kids to learn about food. And we might be biased, but we think that the best way to explore these curiosities is to get in the kitchen. 
By now, you know how much we love KiwiCo crates. We were so thrilled when they launched Yummy Crate last holiday season that I gifted them to my kids and they were a major hit. So this spring, we're doing it again. KiwiCo's steam-based approach is designed to foster a love for the true science of cooking with recipes and activities that explore hands-on creativity and experimentation. Each month, Yummy Crate delivers to your door high-quality kitchen tools, three recipes, and two projects that teach kitchen skills and get kids cooking with or without you. Everything in the crate is designed to foster a love for science and cooking in kids ages 6 to 14. From experimenting with the effect of pH on dough to designing artistic creations with pancake art, every Yummy Crate takes your meal to the next level with kid-friendly science, stories, history, and fun food facts in the Yummy Zine magazine. Before each crate arrives on your doorstep, you'll get an easy-to-use shopping list, which also includes alternative ingredient suggestions for different diets, from vegetarian to vegan, dairy-free to gluten-free. And with no commitment, you can pause or cancel anytime. Build kitchen confidence with hands-on experimentation with Yummy Crate from KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping with the code D-I-J-F-Y at KiwiCo.com. That's 30% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O dot com, promo code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. It's no surprise to anyone that we are in love with our blenders. If they've been listening, they know that we did a whole episode about how the blender is one of the most underrated kitchen tools, useful for so much more than smoothies. Though we make a lot of those too, because blending our own smoothies at home makes it easy to customize ingredients, allowing you to add more veggies, fruits, and even spices at a fraction of the cost. It's true. Smoothies are the number one thing that I make in my blender, but we also use our blenders for sauces and batters and dressings and DIY spreads like homemade mayo which, you know, by the way, you guys, is so much easier to make than you might think. Sometimes we make these things in small batches, a little finishing sauce for taco night or a green smoothie just for mom, while other times we use our blenders for big batches of soups, nut and seed butters, or even easy whipped cream for a crowd. Going between big and small batch sizes can be frustrating when you have a big old blender pitcher to wash, which is just one of the many reasons why we are so in love with the Nutribullet Blender Combo. It comes with both single-serve cup and a larger capacity pitcher so that you can effortlessly switch between the two. And just like other high-powered blenders, it comes equipped with multiple speeds, a pulse function, and extraction capabilities too. But you know what isn't like the other high-powered blenders? The price! Yes, exactly! (laughs) You get a tool that doubles as an easy single-serve blender or one that can make bigger portions of whatever you want because it can make all the magic happen, all for just $149.99. And just like every Nutribullet, the blender combo is all about hassle-free components, quick cleaning, and ease of use. All of our favorite things in a go-to kitchen tool. With over 50 million happy customers worldwide, we would expect nothing less from Nutribullet. Go to Nutribullet.com and use promo code D-I-J-F-Y for 20% off your order. That's Nutribullet.com and promo code D-I-J-F-Y for 20% off. Okay, so we've talked about stir frying, deep frying, braising, steaming. What else is missing when we're talking about essential wok cooking? Those are the big ones, you know, beyond that, you know, there, you can also do pan frying. So things like 
scallion pancakes yes. um, or you know in the book i have a recipe for these um these garlic knot pancakes pan fried dumplings um fried rice you know you can you can steam rice in a, in a wok uh, and then and then pan fry it um you can boil noodles in a wok and then pan fry them you know what one of the other techniques you can do the wok and this was actually something that we ended up cutting from the book as well because um in, mainly for space but if you go to serious eats uh, my guide for smoking in a wok is still up there so you can do Ooh. cold uh cold smoking in a wok which is fun I, I wouldn't call it an essential technique because, yeah, not everybody needs to smoke yes. <laughs> uh, a block of cheese on their stovetop. But that sounds so good. <laughs> Speaking of like non-essential techniques, I am a big sweets person. Are there desserts that can also be made in the wok? Because I think people think <laughs> of the wok exclusively as a savory tool, but it's not necessarily. <laughs> I think of most things exclusively <laughs> as a savory tool because I'm not a dessert person. <laughs> You know, I mean, with a wok, if, if you're not going to be baking things in it, of course. Um, so, you know, generally, I think the, the the types of desserts that you would make with things that things that are either going to be steamed or deep fried. So, um, you know, definitely like donuts, any donuts and funnel cake, and any anything that's um, actually we we did that the other day. I had I made I was making some pita bread, and I had I had a bunch of chunks of dough left over, so we um, we fried them and made like little little beignet style things, but um, yeah, you know, yeah. Fri fried and steamed desserts would be, would be what I would tend to lean to, but you're not going to, you're not going to be baking cookies. Yeah. In your, in no, your I think that's, that's an important distinction that it's not for baking at all, but that you still can. Like, no. If you think of yourself <laughs> as someone who's not going to stir fry regularly, there's still other uses for the wok. There are, there are, but I would also encourage you to yes. stir fry regularly. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about stir frying. What's the basic anatomy of a stir fry? I think of a stir fry as a really quintessential, busy family cook meal. Right. So what are the basic elements of a good stir fry? You know, so when you're talking about sort of more traditional, like Chinese style stir fries, often what you'll see is that um, it'll be either a vegetable based stir fry with maybe a little bit of meat as sort of a flavor yeah. accent, or it'll be a meat based stir fry with a little bit of vegetables as a flavor accent. Whereas with Chinese American style stir fries, a lot of times you have like equal, you know, like you think like beef and broccoli yes. or Chinese American style Kung Pao chicken where you have like bell peppers and chicken. So you, um, or sweet and sour chicken where you have, you know, peppers and onions and chicken. And you, so you think of these, um, Chinese American style ones are often more sort of half and half is because they tend to be these all in one meals. Um, but, but whatever the case, um, in a stir fry, you're going to have your, um, your main ingredients, whether it's vegetables, um, or, or meat or a mix, um, that are cut into pieces. Um, if it's meat, it's going to be marinated. So that's an essential part of stir frying is washing and marinating the meat. You're going to have aromatics that are, you know, things like, it could be things like chopped ginger, garlic, or scallions. It could be, um, you know, Szechuan peppercorns and dried chilies. So you're going to have aromatics, uh, and then you're going to have um, some kind of sauce. Um, and it'll often be a sort of thickened sauce as well. Um, and so the basic process of a stir fry, if you have like a restaurant style burner, generally what you're going to do is you're going to um, stir fry your meat, stir fry your vegetables, add in your aromatics, um, or sometimes you might start with the aromatics depending on the recipe, um, and then add all the sauce. And sort of this progressive things where, you, where one at a time you add things to the wok, and at the end you toss it all together and pour it out. When you're cooking on a, on a home burner, the real trick to stir fries is, is cooking in batches to make yeah. sure that you're you're not overloading your wok. Um, so stir frying, you know, it should be a very sort of dry cooked process. Um, you don't want your meat to um, or your vegetables to start sort of steaming and simmering in the bottom. And that's where the stir, you know, where the tossing, uh, you know, a stir fry should really be called a toss fry because it's much more about getting food in the air um, with the idea that um, as you're tossing it through the air, you're encouraging 
evaporation. And so you're, you're tossing all the liquid in the air, you're getting it all to evaporate yeah. through convection. Um, and so you end up with a much sort of drier heat that's going to concentrate flavors and keep your meat and vegetables firmer and more tender and crisper, um, as opposed to sort of soggy and soft, which is what happens if you kind of steam it, um, so soggy yeah. and soft and with, with a sauce that ends up being, you know, watery. Um, so when you're stir frying, cooking in batches and making sure that you're constantly moving and getting it through the air, um, are really sort of the important technical steps. Um, and so what I recommend, um, typically with my surface is after you've, after you've prepped all your ingredients, I start by cooking the meat in batches. So if I was doing a Chinese American Kung Pao chicken, right? I would start by cooking my marinated chicken pieces in two batches in the wok or as many, it, you know, really depends on your home burner. You know, some, some burners are extremely weak and you might have to do it in three batches or four batches. Some burners are much stronger. You might be able to even get away with doing it in one batch, but typically I recommend people try not to do more than a half pound or so at a time. Okay. Um, so you would stir fry half of your chicken, transfer it to a tray or a bowl, stir fry the, reheat your wok, stir fry the other half, transfer it to the same tray or bowl, reheat your wok, stir fry your vegetables. Um, and then add your aromatics, add the chicken back in, and then finish it all with the with, with the sauce that you have already prepared on the yes, side. Yes, ready to go. Yeah, exactly. So you stir fry in batches and then sauce at the end, toss it all back together, um, and it's done. So talk to us about prepping proteins, though, because I have found that that's a huge piece of making sure that you get a really flavorful yeah. stir fry, is that your protein isn't just like cut up chicken, that's just yeah. straight out of the fridge. I think there, you know, there are some sort of more sort of subtle stir fries where where you're not going for crazy strong flavors every time. But yeah, but certainly, you know, cutting cutting your protein to the right size, right shape and size, and then preparing it the right way. It's not it's not important just for texture, but uh, for flavor, but also important for texture. Yeah. Um, so one of the processes that I really stress in the book is um, washing and marinating your protein. Um, and so when I say washing, it's not it's not about food safety. It's not about, you know, the, you know, there's this whole internet debate about whether you should yes. wash your chicken. And some people are like, yeah, wash your chicken in the sink because it'll make it cleaner. It's not about food safety. It's much more about uh, texture. So you cut your meat to the right size. Uh, you put it in a bowl of water in the sink, and then you really sort of scrub it the way, like if you think about like trying to get, you know, mud stains out of your, out of your kid's jeans, right? You put it in there and you really scrub it and squeeze it. And the idea is that this sort of squeezing and scrubbing, first of all, it'll get rid of some of the um, the darker pigments in meat, um, as well as um, some of the sort of minerals and, th and things that can that can make your stir fry look a, a different color, yeah. which is something that is you know prized in in some of these dishes. Um, and and you'll see that come out in the water. You know your water will gain you know myoglobin. It'll get this red pigment that you can then dump out. But more than that, it's about enhancing the texture. So you're you're really loosening up muscle fibers when you squeeze like that, um, and that's important in two ways. It, it allows the meat then to absorb marinades better because mm -hmm. there's sort of more space between muscle fibers, but it also tenderizes it to a, a really huge degree. The, the washing, the squeezing in combination with properly marinating, um, and a lot of a lot of the marinade ingredients, uh, marinades that I have in this book include um, some kind of alkaline ingredients, so whether mm -hmm. it's baking soda um, or egg whites, um, that alkalinity also helps meat uh, stay tender. You know, if you, if you go to like a Chinese takeout place, even like the cheapest Chinese takeout place, if you get the beef chow fun, the beef has this very sort of tender, almost slick texture. And it's not because they're using the fanciest beef, the fanciest, most tender cuts of beef you can get. Um, it's because they're properly marinating it, uh, washing it and marinating it. Um, and so in the book, there's, there is like a, I, I outline this little experiment you can do at home where you basically try um, side by side beef that's just um, sliced and stir, sliced and marinated and stir fried versus beef that's washed 
treated with alkaline, an alkaline solution and then marinated and stir fried. And there's like a night and day difference as far as texture goes. So if you've ever wondered why, you know, your stir fry, the meat ends up sort of stringy or tougher than it does from um, the Chinese restaurant, it's those two steps, the, the, the washing and the marinating. And people may have heard of velveting. Is this mm-hmm. different? Um, so velveting often will start with those as the first, as the, as the, as the early steps, but velveting is a process. So it's, it's that properly marinating combined with this, with a technique called passing through in restaurants uh, and in many sort of more traditional recipes, you'll do what's called um, passing through oil, where you heat maybe a cup or so of oil in the bottom of your wok. Um, and then you take your marinated meat, whether, you know, often you'll do velveting with um, leaner cuts of meat, things like lean pork or chicken or fish, um, but you could also do it with, you can also do it with you know, beef or lamb, but, but usually it's for leaner cuts of meat that tend to dry out when you stir fry them. Um, and what you do is you, you coat them in a marinade that includes um, egg whites and cornstarch. Uh, and then you uh, very briefly pass it through hot oil um, so that it kind of par cooks it and then you drain it. Um, in, in the book, instead, I use a, I use a water velveting technique where you bring a couple of quarts of water to a simmer in your wok, and then you pass your um, your marinated meat uh, through the water. So you essentially you, you put it in there, you shake it around some with some chopsticks to make sure the individual pieces aren't clumping together. Um, they cook for about 15 seconds and then you strain them out um, and then spread them onto a sheet tray. Once you spread them onto the sheet tray, they continue cooking a little bit. So they're essentially, all the meat is essentially cooked through before you even start stir frying at that point. Um, the other important thing that the velveting does, well, there's a couple of things. So one, it'll, it, because it has that cornstarch and egg white coating, it, it creates a sort of like a sort of slick coating on the surface of the meat that gives it much more that that a very distinct texture yes. that well that's where the you know the velveting yeah. it, it gives the, this velvety soft texture um it also makes the meat much more tender when you stir fry it because you don't have to stir fry it for as long and so it doesn't run this risk of overcooking um because it's already cooked i think of it as sort of like a primer you know for paint where you're coating the meat um with this surface that then makes it much easier for flavorful oils or sauces or whatever to cling to it. And finally, you know, the other thing that it does is that once you've, once you've velveted the meat and, and drained it and spread it on a sheet tray, you'll see, you know, it'll sort of start to steam um, and it'll, it'll, it'll steam dry while you're, you know, dumping out the water, rinsing the wok and, and starting to cook your other ingredients. So by the time you're ready to add your sauce and your meat back in, um, the meat should be relatively dry at that point. So you're, um, you're not watering down your sauce. You're not you know, you're not doing that thing where you're where you're steaming and you know allowing the contents of your wok to sort of steam instead of instead of stir fry. So yeah, the the meat is all ends up pre cooked, so you only have to toss it in the wok at the very end with the sauce for just a few seconds. Um, uh, and so I think it, even though you're adding some steps at the beginning of cooking, um, it makes the rest of cooking a much more sort of streamlined process. Okay, you mentioned marinades, sauces, oils. What is essential to a wok? cooking pantry there's a whole section in the walk about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> um well certainly you know ba- ba- having having um oil you know a, a very good high temperature oil um and there's a huge range of them right you can use canola oil you can use corn so you know i typically use rice bran sometimes sunflower but any any sort of refined oil that's going to be um not break down uh until a relatively high temperature so that that's important as far as sort of sauces go I mean, soy sauce is the most important one. You know, typically a lot of the recipes in this book will call for a combination of light and dark soy sauce. Um, so uh, Chinese style light soy sauce is, is usually stronger in flavor and saltier, whereas dark soy sauce is darker in color, a little bit sweeter, milder in flavor, and is typically used for more for color than for flavor. There's Japanese light and dark soy sauce as well. Um, so the Japanese light soy sauce is much more of a sort of specialty product um, that 
you you probably won't find it in a regular supermarket. You, you'd find it in a Japanese market. Um, Japanese dark soy sauce, um, koikuchi soy sauce, is what you would know as like your typical soy sauce. You know, if you if you buy a bottle of kikoman or you or you go to the sushi place and get soy sauce for dipping, that's Japanese dark soy sauce. Um, Japanese dark soy sauce is darker than Chinese light soy sauce, but it's lighter than Chinese dark soy sauce. So if you're only going to have one soy sauce that sort of, sort of splits the balance, I would get a Japanese style shoyu. Um, a Japanese style dark soy sauce. Beyond that, uh, other important ones are a lot of recipes will call for oyster sauce. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oyster sauce comes in you know, sort of varying degrees of quality. Um, so oyster sauce was uh, invented by the Lee Kum Kee company. They're the brand you probably see the most frequently at supermarkets. Um, they have two They have two lines of, soy, of oyster sauce. One of them has a panda, is red as a red bottle with a panda on the front. Yeah. And another one is a blue bottle with a with a boy on a on a canoe with with a bunch of oysters piled <laughs> okay. up on the front. The uh, the boy with the canoe one is their sort of more premium one, which is made with just oyster extract uh, that's been reduced until it's this intense sauce. Um, whereas the other one has a lot of other flavoring ingredients to it. But um, so I typically recommend getting the the nicer bottle of oyster sauce. A lot of recipes call for dried chilies, um, especially Sichuan recipes call for dried chilies, Sichuan peppercorns, um, and then. Uh, a thing called dobanjang, which is a um, fermented chili and bean paste. Um, those are sort of the three essential Sichuan flavors, dried chilies, uh, Sichuan peppercorns, and dobanjang. Um, and those, you, you'll be able to find them in, in, a, in a better stocked Western supermarket. Um, so, you know, like even at my local Safeway, I can get those ingredients typically, um, but you'll find better quality versions of them either at a Chinese supermarket um, or by ordering online. I, um, I I recommend people order things from a company called Mala Market, which is a Sichuan ingredient importer that has really high quality peppercorns and dried chilies and dobanjang and things like that. Beyond that, um, sesame oil, roasted sesame oil um, will get frequently used. Um, uh, and, um, you know, for a lot of the sort of, um, some of the Chinese recipes, a lot of the Thai recipes and some Vietnamese recipes, you're going to be um, using fish sauce as well. Um, and, you know, these are, uh, oh, and, and also uh, Chinese um, rice wine, so shushing wine, um, which if, you know, if you, if, you, if you already have dry sherry at home, you can use that in place of it in most recipes. Um, but, those, you know, those are the, the really, really the most common ingredients. Um, you know, the good thing about all of them is that you buy them and they're going to last virtually forever. You know, if, so if you, um, if you buy a bottle of fish sauce and, and you only cook things that have fish sauce a couple times a year, it's fine. Like keep it in your pantry and your fish sauce will be fine. You know, same with your soy sauce. As long as you keep it in the fridge, it'll last virtually forever. Oyster sauce will last forever in the fridge. So, so these are things where if you feel like, oh, I have to buy all these things. And like, what if I only, you know, what if I only stir fry a couple times a year? First of all, once you learn how to stir fry properly, I think you'll be cooking, you'll be doing it a lot more. But even if you only do it a couple times a year, these types of pantry ingredients last they're, they're preserved, they're high in salt, they last a long, long time. So you don't really have to worry too much about having to replace them every time you cook. You keep answering my questions before I get a chance <laughs> to ask them. I was going to ask where to get and how long they keep. Talk to us a little bit about, those are the store-bought sauces that are the, you know, the building blocks. Yeah. They can be used on their own or in combination and a simple right. combination to make a stir fry sauce. But then there are other stir fry recipes that require you to mix up a sauce. Right. And what's the basic anatomy of that? Like how should people think about building sauces? Cause I think this is where the fun comes in a little bit when you start <laughs> to build confidence. Right. Um, well, you know, it, re- it really depends on the style of, of dish you're going for. Uh, yeah. Like a very basic sort of, you know, if you think of like a very, very basic Chinese American stir fry um typically you're looking at a a sauce that combines 
savory and sweet elements. Um, so it'll it'll be um, a combination of soy sauces, sometimes maybe some oyster sauce and often sugar. Yeah. If you're talking about you know dishes that have a more sort of um, you know something like uh, like you know like a general sauce chicken, right? It's savory and, and sweet, but also very vinegary. You know, yes. so in that case, you would add a sour, sour element. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's difficult to give you sort of a blanket, like this is how you make a stir fry sauce. It really depends what you're exactly what you're going for. And from, you know, that, that's like asking, like, what's the anatomy of a of a French sauce? Well, there's a lot of different types of sauces in French cuisine. Right. Um, so um, it'll it'll be sort of it'll be sort of similar um, with stir fry recipes. It really it's really going to vary from recipe to recipe. But, um, you know, but but yeah, you can think of them sort of as basic flavor profiles. So it could be a sweet and savory pro- profile. It could be a sweet and sour profile. Um, it could be what's referred to uh, in Sichuan as mysterious flavor, which includes, you know, sour from vinegar, mala, which is like this numbing and hot flavors mm-hmm. um, from, from Sichuan peppercorns and dried chilies, um, and then savory from soy sauce. Um, and usually it also has some sort of like sesame element to it as well. Um, that So the, the, yeah, the, there's a dish in the, in the book um, for... Um, bang bang chicken, which is different from different from the cheesecake factory bang bang chicken <laughs> or bang bang shrimp. Um, it, it, the you know t- that bang 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 chicken um, is a Sichuan dish where you where you essentially poach chicken breast and then the, the, you you smack them with the side of a cleaver to shred them up and then it goes in this sort of mysterious flavor sauce which has which combines all these elements. Um, but there, yeah, there, there's not really one sort of solid blueprint for every single sauce. Right. It sounds like what people should do is really get familiar with all those fundamentals, like all those fundamental sauces, those foundations, so that you can figure out a profile that you like and speaks to you and then know which sauces you're going to go to to combine them. Yeah. And, you know, I would actually think about it the other way around where um, rather than thinking about, um, all right, I have this ingredient, what sauce can I pair with it? It's much easier to think like, all right, today, like I'm going, I want to stir fry greens and, and, you know, in the book, like there's four different four different recipes for sauces that work well with stir fried greens, mm-hmm. right? So you can say, all right, I want to stir fry greens. Um, oh shoot, I don't have I don't have pea greens today, but I've got like some romaine lettuce in my fridge. Yeah. Um, so you can instead of instead of cooking your pea greens with a garlic and ginger sauce, you can cook romaine lettuce with garlic and with a garlic and ginger sauce. So that's that's one of the things that I find very useful about wok cooking is that once you have an idea in your head, um, you can really adapt whatever you have in your fridge to make that work. Right. So it's like, if I was going to make, if I want, if I'm in the mood for sweet and sour chicken, um, but I only have a pork loin in my yeah. fridge, I can make sweet and sour pork and it's going to be, it's going to be fine. Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, in the book, there are, uh, a, there are a lot of, a lot of these sort of charts where it's like, all right, if you want to make congee, like rice pudding, uh, rice porridge, right. Um, here's a chart that shows you all the ingredients you might have in your fridge that could potentially go into a congee and the way to, prepare them and how long they need to cook, et cetera. So if you have like mushrooms and if you have mushrooms and, and pumpkin in your fridge, like here's how you can combine those two things into one bowl of, of rice porridge and how you're going to cut them and how you're going to, and how long you're going to cook each one of them to incorporate them in there. Um, so that, you know, that's, that's what I find fun about cooking in the wok. In, in the wok. I have one very specific, one more very specific sauce question, because this came up in our listeners group. Someone was looking for a quote unquote, basic stir fry sauce, which you've just addressed that there's really no such thing as basic, but they were wanting <laughs> something without cornstarch. And I feel like what I'm gathering from just like listening to you, listening to talk from the book as well is that like cornstarch actually isn't an essential stir fry sauce ingredient. It's more like if you do everything else right, 
you may not need it. Is that true or false? Um, it, it depends. It depends on the recipe, you know. So some. So first of all, it doesn't have to be cornstarch. You know, you can use you can use potato starch. You can use tapioca starch. You can use arrowroot um, in place of it. Uh, cornstarch is. You know, a, a starch of some kind is an essential ingredient in some sauces, you know, particularly in Chinese American style dishes where you're going to have a lot of where people like them to be saucy. And so something like you think of like beef and broccoli and it has this kind of glossy sauce yes. that people like to put on their rice and stuff. And, and it gets that texture and that thickness from um, from the starch added. There are, uh, you know, dr- sort of drier styles of dishes that are stir fried that don't um, necessarily need um, a starch to thicken the sauce simply because they don't have a lot of sauce and you can cook it until it's relatively dry or, or it'll have some sort of more of like a like an oil based uh, sauce. But um, I'm, I'm not sure exactly why they would want no cornstarch. So if, if it's if it's just the corn element, um, you can replace it with potato starch or arrowroot, something like that. Um, if it's that you don't like that texture, well, then, yeah, just leave it out and you can have a, a thinner, a thinner sauce. And that's fine. The other part where starches can be essential is in is in marinades, right? So particularly if you're going to do something where that's that's velveted, right? But that that starch is what's is what um, gelatinizes on the surface of uh, marinated meats and gives it that tender and sort of slippery texture, and also allows sauces to stick to it. So um, if you omit cornstarch from marinades, uh, you'll find that your meat has a sort of a drier and stringier texture when it's when it's done cooking. Um, so, uh, cornstarch, yeah, I would say probably good ninety percent of the recipes in the book call for some kind of call for cornstarch. Um, uh, but you can replace it with another type of starch, or you can experiment doing without it. Um, and you, you you know you end up with a different texture, but that's not necessarily yeah. bad. Brilliant. Okay, can we play a fun game with you? Which is sure. I like, I like games. <laughs> I know we don't tell. We're not going to tell you what the game is, but we're going to ask if you want to play. Okay, so sometimes uh, we play this game called Kiss Mary Kill. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. So, think, like looking at the techniques in the book, we're mm-hmm. just going to pick three for you to, you know, kiss one, marry, kiss, marry kill. kill, exactly. Okay. Stir frying, frying, and simmering slash braising. Um. Mary stir frying, mm-hmm. kiss uh, simmering slash braising, and I guess kill deep frying. Yeah. Oh, I, I would, that I would is hate to kill deep I frying. Know, that's yeah. not what I thought you would say. That's either. not what I thought he was going to say either. Well, I could, I, you know, I, I, I might even change it to Mary simmering and braising. Um, you know, mainly, mainly just because my favorite dish in the world is mapo tofu. Um, it's like a dish that yes. I grew up eating, and it's my, it's like my daughter's favorite dish, and that's a, that's a a braised dish um and yeah a lot of my favorite dishes are are these sort of braised or simmered things but stir frying is i think is more ultimately more versatile so i would pick i would pick stir frying is like the most essential the one that that i do the most often i feel like we need to have you back to just talk just about stir frying because i think there are so many like (laughs) misconceptions and like stacy said it's one of those things that i think is essential for busy home cooks I also yeah. think we need to have him back for braising too. Yeah, okay. We because just come be a regular we did, contributor, yeah, Kenji, so, in all your spare time. There you go, Kenji. <laughs> it's an amazing book. It's beautiful. And it's definitely the kind of book that is going to sit on people's countertops and that they, you can <laughs> learn from and really like dog ear all the stuff. But what I love about all of your work really is that at first, it can honestly feel a little intimidating to some people, I think, because <laughs> right. there's so much information, but it lives on your countertop and everything you include empowers people to really then go off on their own and be able to do it, to be able to riff 
and, you know, have a new approach to cooking under their belt that they can cook with confidence, even when they put the book on the shelf. Oh, well, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say, I mean, that, that is my, that is the goal with all, with, with generally with, well, with both my books is that, um, yeah, yeah, I, I want, I want people to, I want people to feel confident in their own abilities in the kitchen. Yes. Well, we love that and we appreciate you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Okay. Megan, what walk challenge, ripping hot, coming in, ripping hot. What are you going to make? Is it weird to feel like I was, I feel challenged also by Kenji being like, I don't really do sweet things in the walk. Like I feel. I knew it. I almost said it with him on the line. I was yeah. like, he was like, you know, you wouldn't bake cookies. I was like, oh, if there's one person who's going to try, Watch you're me. talking to her. <laughs> Watch me. Is that what's going to, is that what's going to happen? Yeah. I feel kind of challenged to figure out what kind of sweet things can but, be made in it. Not like, I'm not going to get obsessive. It's not going to be chocolate chip cookies, but like funnel cake this summer. Well, he said funnel cake. He said funnel he cake. He did. I do the frying stuff I think is great and funnel cake yeah. funnel cake is one of my favorite desserts. It's really good. Also, I'm one of those people who's written about how great the Dutch oven is for frying. And now I'm like, oh, I sh- I really do need to make a batch of my fried chicken recipe from kitchen and do it in the wok. Oh, I should do a batch of my fried chicken. Fried chicken sandwich. Yeah. Oh my God. Now I want that. It's yes. really good. I have to admit it. I went someplace that had like an award-winning, a restaurant that had an award-winning fried chicken sandwich the other day. And we were all like, even Isaac, who's my toughest Even critic, Isaac, I know, who said your chicken thinks, is not as good. Yeah, he also says, recipe. he also does say that Popeye's is better than my fried chicken sandwich. But every other, that's the only fried chicken sandwich that's come in above mine. So maybe I'll make my fried chicken sandwich. But I actually love Kung Pao chicken. So... I might do that or I might do beef and broccoli. I kind of want to do, I really feel like I want to make something that my kids want to order and I want to make it and I want it to be like, oh my God, this is great. Like this tastes just like our favorite takeout. Yeah. And I know that the walk can do so, so much more beyond that. But, you know, I'm just driven to prove things to my children. That's, that's what drives me. So are we all. There you go. All. I'm glad you said beef and broccoli. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, my kids love that. Yeah. And I can't believe we didn't talk to Kenji about noodles. Because there's a whole noodle section in the book. Like he touched yes. on rice and how you can steam rice in it. But there are a lot of noodle dishes that I would like to recreate at home. Okay, so why don't I do beef and broccoli and you do noodles? And then we have to share it. Okay. I'm on it. Oh, and you're doing cookies or something weird. I'll figure out. <laughs> you're doing cookies or something weird. I just meant like funnel Google cake. it right now. He said no. funnel cake and donuts. So if you do that, that's great. But Kenji already said that. Like, like I just think you could bake a cake in it. I mean, Megan. <laughs> I feel like you're, I feel like this is a very Scorpio moment where you're wanting to like, you're, this is a little rebellious. It's a little bit proving something. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> Go for it. Do it. What's the problem? There's no problem. It just isn't going to be more of a gimmick than a real thing. I will, would hope it to not be. Plus, I'll probably never take ownership other than to like share in Instagram stories and be like, look what I did. You're a troll. 
<laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I said that to you yesterday. I Thanks for bringing it up. Okay. Listen, and you on that, that note. Yes. Thank you. Take us out of here. <laughs> All right. You know what we're going to cook. We want to hear what you are going to cook in your walk because it's a ripping hot June walk challenge. <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but we did. <sighs> and we want to hear from you. The best place to talk to us is in our listeners community. We hope you have joined us there already. If you haven't, remember, you can join for free. Didn't I just feed you.com backslash community. Or if you want those bonus episodes and all those other goodies, join as a supporting member. All the information is there. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we are at Didn't I Just Feed You or by signing up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, hey, leave us a rating and review. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. 